Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a real informative episode with my good friend Steve Chapel of Chapel Guide Service and Elk Camp TV. I want to encourage you guys to check out uh, Steve's uh, Facebook page. That's Chapel Guide Service and Elk Camp TV. Uh, also go to his website, chapelguideservice.com. And I want to thank him for his time. Uh, guys, I want to remind you that Gohan Insider is a sponsor, uh, title sponsor of this podcast. And the 2018 draw odds have just been released, as well as the Arizona elk, uh, elk and antelope applications. And you can go on Gohan Insider and get all of the up-to-date and most accurate draw odds uh, and all the information and that's part of being an insider member if you haven't signed up go to gohunt.com forward slash j scott when you do that follow the prompts you actually are going to get a $50 go hunt uh, gear shop gift card $50 uh, and you're going to have full access to the insider uh, program which is going to allow you to look at all of these uh, updated draw odds. Now these are the the most uh, accurate draw odds out there, and I think it's important for any Western hunter to make sure that they're using accurate draw odds when they're looking at all these different units. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Also, uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Jason Harrison and his crew make the best ultralight hunting gear. The Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority. Uh, 1-800-291-8065, Cody, and, Cody Nelson and his crew there in Phoenix. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there. You can also go to outdoorsmans.com to, to get that 10% discount. And then PhoneScope, Cheston Davis, PhoneScope.com, use the J. Scott 16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount there uh, at PhoneScope. I want to thank... Uh, all of the sponsors. I want to thank you guys, the listeners. If you have any questions at all, uh, please email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on my Instagram account, and that's at jscottoutdoors. Guys, let's dive right into the info here with Steve Chapel, and thanks for your loyal support of this podcast. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with my good friend Steve Chapel. I've had Steve on the podcast several times and I just get unbelievable reviews. Um, Steve and I have been friends for a long time and uh, we were actually partners in our guide business uh, for quite a while and we still are great friends and we've been through a lot of encounters and experiences together and um, I consider Steve one of my dear friends, and uh, we're both believers, and um, we just have a lot in common. Uh, Steve, it's so great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. It's uh, really nice to kick off 2018 being on your podcast. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to visiting with you here. Absolutely. Let's dive right into it. I know everyone's probably wanting to uh, get some info out of Steve Chapel and, and see what the, the master is thinking. Um, before, we get, before we get into that, Steve, um, we can talk about conditions and drought and everything that we're kind of facing now, but um, looking back at last elk season, you know, how did it go? 
how how would you put it as far as you know seasons that you know we've been doing this so long like where did we fall give a little general overview of of the overall season last year and i'm yeah, talking elk elk season in arizona you bet you know, 2017 was a good season. Um, you know, first off, we had those great hunt dates, you know, the, tw- the 15th through 28th of September for the archery, and then the next seven days for the early firearms. So that helped us a lot. Um, you know, the rut was was good and consistent, I would say. Um, I thought it was a little better than it had been, you know, say the past four or five years. Um, if there was any hindrance at all to it, it was the fact that we had some high wind days. Um, so I think that had more to do with, the, you know, kind of the poor days, especially the afternoon, evenings, um, than it was just the rutting activity. Um, but overall, you know, if we could have a repeat of 2017 again this year, I, w- I would definitely take it. So it, it, it was good. Steve, as far as you talk about, you know, rutting and and windy days, um, and I've kind of heard that across the board from, you know, even guys on the eastern part of the state through the central part and even up north, you know, the 8, 9, 10 country. um, Explain to guys maybe that don't have as much experience when you get those windy, um, you know, conditions, you know, and it wasn't just like a day here. It was like, it seemed like, from what I hear, the whole season just it was pretty windy. How does yeah. that affect? How does that affect an elk hunter in your mind? It it just seems like overall the bugling activity is going to be a little less. I've just noticed when it's really windy, and I'm talking you know like sustained winds of you know like 20 miles an hour and and more. When you have those kind of sustained winds, it just seems to kind of knock the bugling back on the whole. And then you also obviously have to be a lot closer to hear any elk that are bugling, and you have to also be closer to them because if they're going to hear your calling and respond to it, they're not going to hear it from as far away. So really what I try to do is, you know, I like to get in tight to elk to call anyway, but when it's windy, I feel like you have to get right in their kitchen. I'm talking, you know, 120, 100 yards and less for your calling to be more meaningful to elk that are, you know, kind of kind of windblown, so to speak. So, yeah, I like to get in really tight. Don't you feel like sometimes when it's windy, sometimes, and you can sneak in tight, you make a few calls. I mean, you can get them really fired up and, like, they get almost like they spook them. You know, you've you got to watch that you don't spook them because they're also using, they can't hear as well, and they're kind of, you know, they're a little leery when they can't sense when something's, you know, coming up on them, and you you call to them, and sometimes they respond like, oh, gosh, there's cows right there, and they just come right over. But wouldn't you say there's also a little bit like they're kind of testing you, and they're kind of, you know, you can watch their body language, and they're kind of, did I hear what I think I heard? And they're kind of poking their ears and kind of, you know, looking in your direction. Would you not agree? Yeah, absolutely. It does make them more edgy. So it kind of depends on the bull that you're dealing with. Sometimes they, they, they may come right in. The thing that I do like, like you just alluded to, is they can't really hear you approaching. So you can aggressively get in there close because you've got cover noise as you're getting in there. And you can set up and, and, and call up close. And then, like I've said in the past on your podcast, when you're in close like that, even though it's windy, I still feel like it's critical that you blow a, a nice quality, subtle sound to start with and not just jump all over them because they're kind of edgy already. So I like to just, you know, introduce myself with that first call or sequence of calls 
just nice and sweet to them. Um, you know, and then the other advantage is they have a little bit of a hard time when the wind's blowing like that pinpointing exactly where you're at and exactly how far away you are, which is to your advantage if you get one to come in and it's windy like that. For sure, absolutely. Um, jumping ahead just a little bit, when we're looking at the 2018 uh, season, you know, with the application deadline coming up here February 13th, you know, our season dates, Steve, uh, for, for most of the archery hunts in Arizona, they bumped back a day. So it's September 14th to the 27th, where last year it was the September 15th to the 28th. Uh, you don't really see any big difference in the actual date or timing of that, do you? Yeah, not at all. I don't think that, that one day will make a difference. If I see anything, and I think you and I already kind of mentioned this to each other via text, is the moon phase. Um, we had a real favorable moon phase last year for much of the archery hunt, and this year that's not so much the case. Um, I just took a glance at it. I, I don't know exactly when the full moon is, but it, it looks like we have a lot of moon, say, from the 19th or 20th through the end of the hunt, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, so we're going to have to hope that we get some moisture and some cows come into heat, you know, during that time phase, and then, you know, all the rules get thrown out the window if there's cows in heat. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I actually, I'm looking at it right here, and it looks like um, around the 8th or 9th is, is a new moon, and it's full. Um, it looks like it's full on the 25th. So it's okay. going to be just getting brighter and brighter and brighter, which, you know, one thing it could possibly, you know, last year it was kind of weird. We thought, oh, it's going to be dark. It's going to be incredible. But did it really backfire on us, and did they almost kind of shut down? And, and maybe... <laughs> I'm just curious your opinion, like maybe as far as bugling and getting after it on that coming moon, maybe they'll get into it. It might be tougher hunting during the day, yes. but I, it, it, it might, I mean, is there any thought that you're thinking they might just start getting, you know, by about the 17th, 18th as that moon's pretty, you know, it's at its first quarter, would it, they'll start getting it? Yeah, that could very well be the case because I've heard it said by people who really know science and the elk rut is that the majority of the cows will come into heat around, it's, it's three to four days around a full moon. So if that turns out to be true, that could actually, you know, really help and kick that rut in because of the way the moon is timed this year. If it's full on the 25th, you know, we'd be looking at, you know, anywhere from the 21st to like the 28th, 29th, right in there, which are yeah. very good dates anyway. So, yeah, it could, if that plays out that way, it could be a frenzy there that last week of the archery hunt. Let's, let's bump over to the other thing that you and I know, uh, you know, affects antler growth, affects their rutting, you know, and that's, that's feed conditions and drought. And um, how, how is it looking out there? What is your take? What are you hearing from your guides across the state as far as, um, you know, is it, is it widespread, dry, is, you know, some places better than other? What are you hearing out there? Yeah, I'm hearing that it's um, especially dry in the northwest, which is typically the most dry anyway. Um, so we're talking like, you know, 8, 9, 10, 7, those units. Um, I just talked to Steve Clark of the Arizona Elk Society today, and he told me that they had already been hauling for quite some time 
uh, water like to units 7 west and 9, and they never have done that before in the winter months. Um, so that really got, got my attention, the fact that they've never done that before during this time frame. Um, so that's kind of concerning there for the northwest part of the state. Um, you know, like always, up on the Mugion Rim and in the White Mountains, um, it seems to fare a little better. Um, but I think if this persists and we don't get some moisture uh, come spring and we stay in this La Nina pattern, that we could be looking at a pretty dry year overall. Um, you know, I'm not so much the kind of guy that really cares if a bull has 350 or 365 antlers, uh, which we could have if we have a droughty year. I'm, I'm more about whether they're going to rut or not and have a normal rut cycle. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, worst case scenario, we have a dry winter and dry spring, but then we get enough rains in the monsoon that it gets the elk healthy and they go into the rut, you know, fat and sassy and wanting to bugle and carry on. But we'll see. Don't you think there's some aspect, too, that if they're, yeah, it can be dry in the winter, but as long as they're, they're, they're holding their own, they have feed, and, you know, the, the, the game and fish or the elk society is able to get that water and such, you know, as long as they're not putting pressure on their body, is there a chance that maybe milder conditions and not having to deal with heavy snow and what have you, um, that if we did get spring rains, say, you know, late February, March, is it possible in your mind that we could be just a regular average year or even it could even turn around and be a good year? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting that you bring that up because I really feel like that's part of the reason, a big part of the reason why Arizona elk grow big antlers in the first place versus places like Colorado or Idaho or places where there's harsh winters you know, Arizona has that advantage, and, and these elk definitely have had a mild, uh, warmer winter so far, and no doubt that's, uh, that allows them to not use so much of their reserves to, to stay alive and survive. So they're doing well right now as far as their health goes. So, you know, without a doubt, if they get some rain at some point and there's some feed, and, you know, elk are opportunists just like any other animal. They're going to they're gonna use everything in their habitat uh, that they can, you know, whether it be browse or, you know, cedar berries or, you know, just whatever they can eat. Um, you know, I'm always amazed, uh, speaking of that, you know, in some of these drier units at where these bulls will summer. I mean, they will be in the most dry, arid parts of the unit where there's just seemingly rocks, dirt, and water is about it, and they still grow giant antlers. So, um, you know, I, th I think we could be fine unless we have a year like 2002 or 1996 where it's just dry all the way through. Yeah, I, um, I, I hear both of those. I hear 96 and 02, and in my mind I just cringe going, oh, gosh, not again. Please, not yeah. one of those. Um, yeah. It, you know, didn't we meet in 96? You know, it was when 95. Did we meet? It was the good. 95, good okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then the next year was just horrid, and then O2 was the last real horrid year we've had. Um, yeah. Let's hope we can pull out of that. Steve, um, looking at the regulations that just came out, and I want to remind the listeners that the deadline is the 13th of February, uh, and looking at these regulations that have come out, have you had a chance to kind of go through them? Is there anything that's jumping out at you, you know, just off the, you know, hey, this unit, this haunt's new, or something. Is there anything that you're seeing out there that, that's new to you that you like or dislike? Yeah, um, I, I have had the 
chance to look at the regs. I mean, I haven't studied them in depth to see, you know, how much uh, tag numbers have changed for various units. I don't think there's any huge changes there. I'm sure there's some small changes that maybe I didn't notice. Um, the one thing that I did notice, and we've had this for the last, I think, two or three years, is that they, protect, they, they pick one particular unit where they swap the early firearms hunt with the archery hunt. And I saw yep. that they did that in 7 West this year. Uh, so you have a, actually a muzzleloader hunt that runs September 14th through the 20th. And then the archery hunt, the only one in the state, uh, 7 West, the archery hunt will be September 21st through October 4th. Um, and in my mind, those are actually very, very good dates. Um, I think the muzzleloader hunt could be more of a, you know, glassing spot, spot and stock type of hunt overall. There could be some bugling there, but I think when the archery hunt starts there, it, it could really kick off and be good. You have spent a lot of time in 7 West and done very well in that unit. What I hear you saying is that, you know, obviously the muzzleloaders might pick off the cream of the crop, and I'm sure you'd love to have a muzzleloader hunter potentially on, on that hunt, and I'm sure you will. Um, but, but am I hearing you say that the dates alone from the 21st to the 4th, you feel like from a bugling standpoint that that might actually be better for the archers? I do, because I think, um, you know, once we get to, say, like the 24th of September and beyond, that would be the best part of the hunt and the best part of the rutting, regardless of what unit you were in. Um, so, yeah, I think that could prove to be really phenomenal rutting. And, I, and I've also seen that on drier type of years that it seems like a lot of times the rut will be just a, just a click later than it usually is. So there in those last few days of September into early October could, could get very good, even if, you know, leading up to that, the last half of September wasn't very good. It, it could really keep yeah, I mean, We've seen it. We've been together uh, quite a bit in that, you know, kind of late archery moving into the early rifle or those muzzleloader hunts that are, you know, typically right after the archery. And it, I mean, it just seems like the last four or five days of the archery when they're in this time frame of, you know, the 14th to the 27th, it just seems like that, you know, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, you know, 8th, 9th, Third, you know, into the first, second, third. I mean, I've seen them just go in some of the best bugling of the whole seasons. Usually, you know, the first three days of, or the last three days of September, and the first three days of October. Yes, yes. Matter of fact, I can recall very vividly the two very best rutting days that I've experienced in Arizona on different years. One year it was October first, and on on another year it was October third, and. Yeah. On those days, literally, there would be groups of elk anywhere from 50 to over 100 that were grouped up, and they were just in a rutting frenzy, and it was like their eyes were rolled back in their heads and glazed over. I mean, you could basically just walk right into them. Um, you know, the wind, even the wind wasn't that important. It was unbelievable on those two days. Um, uh, you know, I hope we have some like that this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting you, you, you talk about that 7 West. Your experience in 7 West, um, as much as you've been in there, it's kind of a spotty bugling unit, is it not? It, 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 it's not the 9 or the 10. And it, it, is that mostly due to pressure, or do you think it's timing of, you just think they rut later in 7 West? I think maybe it has to do with both contributing to that. I agree that a little later is better there. 
And then also, you know, you've just got a lot of fall recreationalists out there who maybe don't even realize there's a hunt going on. And, you know, they're out there hiking around, riding four-wheelers and such, having fun, and nothing against that. But that's definitely going to pressure the elk and impact it. Um, yeah, like you say, Jay, I'm not real high on 7 West because of the spotty bugling activity. So I'm not going to go out on the limb and tell people that's a sleeper this year and go jump and apply for it um, because, you know, it could could hold true to history and be, you know, once every four or five days that they're bugling <laughs> and make for a tough hunt. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, I didn't prompt you that I'm going to do this, but I, I'm pretty sure you can handle it. Um, when we're talking about the archery elk units, um, I'd like to just kind of, I'm looking at the regs right now, and I'm just going to kind of go down through, let's, you know, say 1, 3C. I'm going to kind of bounce through some units and just, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay the unit. You kind of just give me your overview, what you think, trending up, down, you know, and maybe some of these you'll be like, yeah, I don't know, let's skip it and move on, and maybe say, you know, yeah. mid, you know, just whatever kind of comes to your head, and we'll just kind of go through some of these units. Um, that, one, two, B, one, two, B, two, C archery hunt. Yeah, I think it's kind of holding steady. Um, you know, I think it overall has declined a little since the years when they had 150 bull tags. You know, since we had the the big fire, and I believe it's 2011 or 12, right in there, um, and they yeah. upped it substantially. Uh, you know, that obviously doubling the tags hurts the quality of the experience a little bit, um, but I think. One is definitely holding steady as far as being a good, consistent bugling rutting unit where you know a guy could you know reasonably if he if things go well get a three forty plus bull on that hunt. Okay, three C. Yeah, three yeah, um, C. Its heyday was definitely after the rodeo Cheddar Sky fire. I mean, there was a there was a time there that for several years where where we did really well in that unit. I mean, as you know, you and Dar were part of taking a 425 or 26 bull out of that unit. Um, I wouldn't put it up there with the heyday. Um, I would say, again, like one, it's kind of held its own over the past five five years or so where, you know, 330, 340, sometimes better bulls. Uh, you know, just depending, you've always got that factor, just like in unit one, of having the White Mountain Apache Reservation, um, you know, on the entire southern border of 3C. So, you just never know what's going to come over the fence to rut, so there's always the possibility of a great, great bull out of 3C. Yep, yep. Uh, 3B? Um, that's a unit we just don't have a lot of experience in, so I'm going to not make any judgments on that one. So, Okay. 4A? Uh, 4A, again, not a unit that we have a ton of experience in. I know that unit being up on the rim um, is, is not as drought uh, you know, susceptible, so I like that about it. Um, again, it's not a unit that's known for, for big bulls. Um, you know, there can be a big bull here and there in that unit. Um, you know, a guy probably could reasonably expect a 300-plus bull on that hunt and hope for, you know, some good bugling and a fun hunt on that one. 4B? Um, that one is, you know, just persistently a tough bugling unit, and you can see that it always bears out in the hunt success statistics. Um, you know, again, there's always a chance for, you know, a big bull here and there. Um, but I always say they're hard to kill when they, when they don't bugle. And when you don't get that good bugling activity, it's very hard. So 4B is going to have better draw odds, uh, you know, for a guy that's got the full season to, to invest in the hunt. You know, that might be a sleeper, but uh, it's going to be tough, a tough one for bugling. 
5A? Uh, you know, again, 5A, like 4A sits up on the rim. Um, you know, we've, we've had hunters here and there. It's not a unit where we have hunters every year in there. Um, again, more of an opportunity type hunt. There's, you know, pockets of big bulls here and there. Um, but again, it's going to have, you know, better draw odds than the premier units. So I would put it kind of, uh, you know, maybe at the bottom of the mid-tier type, type hunts. Okay, 5B North? Yeah, kind of uh, a little bit in the same boat with 4B. It can really be affected by drought, um, and you can have some real spotty bugling. But there's also been some really nice bulls come out of that unit. You know, if a guy gets it, has the time to scout, uh, gets to know the unit, a, a big bull can be had out of that unit. I've got a personal friend that took a 377 bull out of there a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, that one is a little bit of a sleeper. Um, but again, don't expect to rip, roar, and rut in there the whole time. 5B South? Um, that unit, I, I do think it, it has a little better bugling than some of the you know, mid-tier to lower-tier type of units on the whole. Um, seems like it typically has a pretty good bull-to-cow ratio, and there's you know, pretty good rutting and bugling in there. Again, it's another unit that is not known on the average to have big bulls. Um, but for a guy who's just looking for, you know, a 300-plus bull and to have a good experience, um, you know, 5B South would be a good hunt. I, I will say, uh, you know, 5B North, 5B South, um, very rough, rocky roads. I thought Unit 10 had rough roads. Um, one year <laughs> in 5B South, and you talk about rough roads, you better be ready for them. <laughs> 6A with 700 tags. Yeah, um, that one, in my opinion, is the type of unit where you better know some pretty off-the-wall pocket-type areas to hunt. Um, otherwise, it could be a pretty frustrating hunt with a lot of people there. It's just very hard to get away from the crowds with the, you know, good access for the most part into 6A. Um, you know, it's got the most elk, in the state, most elk in the state, but again, a lot of pressure. Uh, not the type of hunt to apply for if you're you know, wanting that real quality experience. Um, with more mature bulls, um, but for a guy who just wants opportunity, yeah, 6A would give you that. 6B, I remember you guys killed a big one out of 6B a long time ago. Yeah, yeah the key word is a long time ago. <laughs> Again, you know, I think a big bull can be had here and there in 6B because of Sycamore Canyon being there. Um, it's a spotty bugling type unit, as much, many of them are. Um, so that's not a real knock on it because lots of units are that way. Um, but, yeah, on the whole, it's, it's, it's another unit where a 300-plus bull would be an accomplishment. 70. Yeah, I personally had that tag in 2010. In fact, that was my last archery tag, uh, one of the hardest hunts I've, archery hunts I've ever been on as far as uh, mentally especially um, just because of the lack of good consistent bugling. And when I say lack of good consistent bugling, Jay, on these hunts, I don't just hit one area and keep going back to it. When I'm not getting in on good bugling, I don't just, you know, commit myself to hunting one bull in one area. I bounce around and try to find bugling, go out at night and listen, and doggone, that was a tough hunt. I mean, I did not call in and connect on, on, a, on a good bull until the evening of day 13, so it, it was a grind. Um, you know, there's we, talk, we, 
<laughs> Go ahead. I interrupted you. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. There's big bulls here and there, very few and far between. Um, you know, for the right kind of hunter, seven east, you, you can get a good bull out of there. You've just got to be ready to spend the whole time in there and um, suffer through the days where they don't bugle well. We talked about seven west, um, unit eight. Yeah, unit eight is another unit that I've spent some time in. I specifically remember one year when you guys were in uh, unit 10 on the same year. <laughs> it was a great bugling year in unit 10. And for whatever reason, I mean, the moisture was great. Everything was seemingly great, but in unit eight, it was just really poor. So it's kind of another one of those units that, that I've labeled as um, just off and on bugling, and you've really got to make it count when they're when they're on bugling, and so you've got to be there. So it's a unit, in my opinion, that you know you need to have 10 to 14 days if you want to maximize that tag, uh, because when they do bugle, some real giants come out of that unit. It's real hit or miss, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Unit unit nine, which you know you know unit nine. That's your bread and butter. I'm curious what your thoughts are on unit nine right now. Yeah, I think like we talked about last year on the podcast, I think it's still about the same scenario where, you know, there's just not as many 350-plus bulls as there used to be. Um, you know, there still are great bulls. There's just, they're just fewer and far between. So there's always going to be a handful of great bulls that come out of that unit, you know, between the archery hunt and the early firearms hunt, which they run every year. And, you know, I do think these units that run an early firearms hunt consistently every single year, it does impact the trophy quality of the bulls just because, you know, they're getting hammered with firearms every year when they're bugling. Um, you know, I do still think it's that unit, you know, if you're looking for a 340, 350 bull and everything comes together for you, that's a, that's a real possibility. And for the most part, it's a pretty good bugling unit, so it's a lot of fun. Unit 10? Yeah, Unit 10 is one of those that, you know, can be a real home run or it can be a bust depending on the year. Um, you know, on those years where the bugling's great, like that year we were talking about when I was an eight, I mean, it can just be absolute insanity and the bulls are, are real responsive to calling there. Uh, unit 10, for the most part, is a unit that you've got to want to go to, to get to. Um, you know, it's not a unit where you just have recreationalists out there banging around and especially with the Bokeas and the Bokeas access fees. Um, yeah, for the right person, uh, you know, who doesn't mind being isolated out there and dealing with rough roads, you know, you can't drive ATVs or UTVs or anything like that on the Bokeas part of Unit 10. Um, you know, Unit 10 is, is, is a great unit. If you have enough moisture and you have a good rut, it doesn't get much better than 10. Steve, I'm going to skip over. I know time is of the essence. I'm going to skip um, up to, uh, say, uh, Unit 22. Okay. Um, 22 we have more experience with on the late hunt. Um, 22 I do know can be very good for bugling, um, you know, during the rut hunts. It's a you know, pretty, for the most part, rough, brushy, fairly steep unit. Um, so it's not the kind of unit where a guy can just ramble around and, you know, call in a lot of bulls in easy terrain. Um, you know, it takes the right kind of hunter to do well in 22. So, yeah, there again, it's, it's more of a late terrain, late terrain, late type of unit for us. 23 North. Yeah, that's, uh, as I've said before, the Disneyland Jurassic Park elk hunt of Arizona. Um, 
You know, I love it. The tough part about it is there's just 15 tags, so there's only one potential random non-resident tag that's not even guaranteed to a non-resident, and it's random. But if you get that tag, oh my goodness, um, you know, you're pretty well assured to have a great bugling hunt. Um, you know, again, probably that 340, 350 and better range if, if things go well. Um, but, you know, what we love about that hunt is the fact that the bugling's good. It borders the White Mountain Apache, so you've always got the chance for, you know, one of those phenomenal $20,000-plus bulls walking over and being in your unit when, when it's our Get, Getting lost, getting lost yeah. during archery season. Exactly. And I, I do want to point out something that you did say that it needs to be said and kind of you listeners need to kind of slap yourself in the face a couple times and perk up because it goes, because it's only 15 tags, it's a random tag. So that means it could go to a non-resident or none could go to a non-resident. It doesn't mean that one will go to a non-resident. Is that correct, Steve? That is exactly correct. And another okay. thing to, to make note of is it doesn't matter if you have 24, 25 bonus points, you're still not guaranteed that tag because there is not a, a non-resident bonus point tag. It's just a random one, and it's not guaranteed to a non-resident like you just stated. So in other words, when this change happened, non-residents in 23 North or South just basically shot them. I mean, their, their foot got shot off because they, their chances went way, way down. Yeah, and I know a couple of guys who are hanging on for that, for, for 23 North. And yeah, it was a real bummer for them because there was no longer guaranteed, uh, you know, that one bonus point tag for a non-resident. So that was kind of unfortunate for them but you know hey with the way our draw works with the five choice system and again we've talked about how just your first two choices come into play on these bull elk hunts um, the guy looking for that real premier trophy hunt there is nothing wrong with putting 23 north or 23 south as your first choice and swinging for the fence swinging. yeah swing some, for the fence. somebody's going to get that tag it might as well be you and you won't get it if you don't apply for it good stuff um yeah. I think you talked about 23 South as well. 27. Yeah, 27, I feel, overall has slipped a little bit since the fire. As far as the rut, the archery hunt, and early firearms, I would pick Unit 1 above 27 to have good, consistent rutting activity. Um, it's also more of a physical unit, so it's going to be a little harder to you know, get around and look at a lot of bulls in 27 versus 1 or 3C. Um, you know, 27 is a great late unit, and we've been doing very, very well. In fact, that's probably become about our favorite late unit uh, in the past several years. Um, you know, again, and I would pick it. Don't you think, Steve, the, is, is, as good as you guys can see in 27, uh, you guys are killing some great bulls, but don't you think it's just hammering the overall quality yes. in 27? And yeah, and they're keeping the tag numbers up pretty high. So, you know, it's the heyday right now, but I have a feeling that, that you know, it, it, we're going we're gonna to pay the piper here pretty soon, and it, it's hurting the trophy quality, and that's going to get more and more magnified as we go on in time. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you going through those units with us, and want to encourage the listeners, there's a bunch of hunts there and different, you know, late hunts and different stuff that you can, late archery, there's all kinds of stuff. Steve knows all these units. He has guides in most all these units. Um, and they do very, very well. I encourage you guys to, you know, call, email, get a hold of Steve if you want more information on different hunts. 
Uh, Steve knows the application. Uh, he put out a DVD on the application, on the draw. He knows the draw inside and out. He knows how it works. Um, so you can always contact Steve for more information. Steve, you have been doing a different, let's say, out-of-the-box system. I'm going to call it out-of-the-box uh, in a good way uh, for the last three years. Um, uh, can you explain to me and the listeners how this system of yours and you know what you call it and how, what is it, how it works, and what's the story with it? Yeah, you bet, Jay. It's called Zero Hunt Fees. And the, the reason I offered it is I just saw more and more that, um, you know, I love guiding people who draw their tag through the Arizona draw, and that's what we've always done. Um, but I saw that lots of people um, get excluded from a guided hunt just because of finances. Because let's face it, with guiding, it's a very short window of when we can make our money. So, you know, we're hunting for these nice bulls, and you know, these hunts are anywhere from about five thousand up to eight thousand, depending on the length and what we provide. Um, and that just excludes a lot of people um, just by design. It, it excludes most people, including, including me. So I just thought, how can we make this more affordable and more, you know, reach more people who would like to go on a guided hunt? Um, and the zero hunt fees program fits into that scenario just perfectly because rather than a hunter having to come up with a large lump sum when they draw a tag, they, what they do is they pay a small amount yearly, and that exact amount is $349 a year for this membership. It, and then when they draw their tag, whether it's the first year, the third year, fifth year, tenth year, fifteenth year, they pay no more for their guided hunt at that point. Um, you know, the question that I get asked the most about it is, well, couldn't someone just save the money, you know, start a savings account and save money for a guided hunt? Well, yes, they could, and I think that's a great plan. Um, to me, the advantage over our zero hunt fees program is, what if that person who's doing a self-savings account draws their first year or their third year or their fifth year, and they haven't saved up near enough money to go on that guided hunt? Then they're excluded from the guided hunt. Um, so this eliminates that problem completely um, because from year one when they sign up into this program, their hunt fees are covered. Um, so my opinion is if their plan is to come to Arizona and hunt, which obviously they're planning that because they're applying for the draw, um, and they're looking at either going on a DIY hunt because they, you know, a do-it-yourself hunt because they can't afford a guided hunt, um, or they're even looking at going on a guided hunt. This, this plan e in either scenario to me makes a lot of sense um, because you can take it out all the way to 25 years if you're paying $349 for 25 years at today's guide prices, you're at the break-even point at about 25 years. Um, so, you know, if you're like me and you're the optimist and you think, hey, I, th I, I plan to draw inside of 20, 25 years, I like my chances of drawing, um, this makes great sense because basically you're you're investing less than a dollar a day into your future Arizona elk hunt is what is what it comes down to. So Steve, if a non if a resident or a non-resident, do you treat them the same in this program? Currently, Jay, I'm just offering it to non-residents um, because of the fact that you know what the way the draw works and 
you know, 90 plus percent of the tags going to the residents. I'm thinking and considering and, you know, possibly going to develop a plan for the residents, but it would have to be a little different in scope than the one for the non-residents where, you know, I'm a lot more open as far as units and hunts they can apply for. In other words, though, the residents' draws, draws are way better. So if you're off, if you could potentially get just absolutely killed uh, as far as owing a bunch of residents hunts that, you know, maybe only applied with you for one year and now you got to pay a, you know, $6,000 guided hunt. Is that what I hear you saying? That's exactly right. Because at the end of the day, I'm offering the same thing as far as the hunt quality goes to someone, whether a zero hunt fees member or a regular guided client. Um, so, you know, whether I'm guiding the hunt personally or one of my guides is guiding it, I'm going to make sure that if, you know, if my guide is guiding it, he's going to be paid the same amount of money if he's guiding a zero hunt fees member. So he's going to have the same motivation to do well on that hunt versus a standard client, if you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that that zero hunt fees member gets treated just like a standard guided hunter does. So, yeah, you're exactly right. I have to watch out for my risk because if I were just to offer it broad scope to everyone, um, you know, you could, you, you could definitely stand to get burned and lose a lot of money as a guide. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been doing it and how has it been working for not only for you, your business, and for the hunter? Yeah, um, I started it in 2016, and, you know, I haven't been real aggressive about marketing it and pushing it. I would say this year uh, I've, I've stepped it up a little bit as far as offering it. Um, so I've kind of, you know, just built a slow membership. Um, you know, it has been a, a great thing for me as it has been for the members. Um, we've had some, you know, some members who have drawn um, and definitely non-residents who have drawn who did not have the specified amount of points to guarantee themselves tags, but they still drew. Um, so that's the cool thing, you know, with that change that the Game and Fish implemented into the draw, I think it was in 16, 15 or 16, I think it was three years yep. ago. Yep. So, you know, it, it basically changed the draw from where it was all about your bonus points, and if you didn't have, you know, X amount of bonus points, you weren't going to draw 9 or 1 or 3C or 10 or 23 or seven west or eight or a lot of these better hunt units, you, you just weren't going to draw unless you had the points. Now, you know, half of the non-resident tags that are issued are issued on the bonus point basis, and then the other remaining half of the non-resident tags are, are available there in the, in, the, in the random part of the draw when they're looking at the one and two choices. So the cool thing is a non-resident has the chance to draw any tag on any given year now so this zero hunt fees membership is a lot more attractive now that that is possible. Yeah, and you, you non-residents that are listening, this is a slap yourself in the face and wake up and listen to what Steve just said. You now randomly have a chance literally to draw any tag in the state. Before, you weren't even in the running if you didn't have the number of points for that unit. Yeah, now that's five percent of those tags go completely random, and five percent of those tags, right, go into the maximum point pool. So you can draw a unit nine tag with one or no or three points. You can draw a unit ten or a unit twenty. We talked about twenty-three; it's a little different, 
a 3C, a unit one. You can draw some of these great units, whereas before you had to have, you know, 13, 14, 15, whatever the max number of points. So yep. you non-residents that are listening that have never applied in Arizona, you better get on it because you have a chance to draw and you didn't before. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jay. You know, a specific example would be the Unit 1 archery hunt with 300 bull tags. You know, with that 10% non-resident cap in place, 30 of those tags can go to non-residents. So breaking it down, you know, 15 of those tags will go in the bonus point round, and then there's a, then there's a potential 15 tags that will go in the random part of the draw. And that never used to be the case. In the past, all 30 of those non-resident tags would get taken in the bonus point round. Um, but now with that change, there's going to be non-residents every year who draw, you know, regardless of their points um, for those random tags. So again, it makes the zero hunt fees membership you know, more attractive. In the past, when it was just all about your points, you know, to me it wouldn't make a lot of sense to join a program like this unless you had max points and, you know, whoever was offering it like me would allow you to get in when you were guaranteed to draw a hunt. Um, but, but now with this, you know, element of randomness and half of the non-resident tags being random, um, you know, the Zero Humphies program is, you know, real attractive to a non-resident and just offers them to the opportunity to potentially save thousands of dollars on a guided hunt. And Steve, I just want to be clear. Someone can call you uh, tomorrow and listen to this podcast and they can call with no points. They've never applied and they can sign up for zero hunt fees or they could call and have three, four, 10, 12, 20. They could have whatever points and they can sign up for zero hunt fees. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you don't now, have any restriction. Go ahead. The one thing I will say, the one thing I will say is that let's just say that the guy with 20 bonus points calls me up and wants to sign up for zero hunt fees. That's obviously a person who has been particular about what they've applied for in the past. Would you not agree? Absolutely. So, so what I'm not going to allow is someone with that type of point level to call me up and say, okay, this year with my 20 bonus points, I want to apply for 6A late rifle. Do, do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, so in other words, it's a guaranteed, you're expecting those people with 20, 21, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, they're going after these early rifle hunts and what have you. Um, you're not expecting them to take advantage of you and say, I'm going to go and put in for 100% draw. That's exactly it. I mean, I'm really reasonable. Let's say, you know, a guy's got 16, 17 points and he's been applying for unit nine archery. And I'll, I'll absolutely take someone like that. Um, but, yeah. but you're right. Someone who's going to um, sign up and undershop, so to speak, their bonus points just to go on a, you know, $349 hunt. Um, you know, that's not what I'm offering the membership for. So the first thing I'm going to ask someone is, you know, what hunts have you been applying for and what are your goals and expectations on a hunt? And let's kind of, um, you know, keep you applying for those type of hunts where, you know, it's going to meet your expectations. Because the last thing I want to do is, uh, you know, have a member that draws a hunt and come and just have a disappointing experience. That, that would just be bad all the way around. It would be bad for everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve, uh, I, I know um, people can call you and, and, and talk to you more about your program. You handle each zero hunt fees member yourself, do you not? You talk to them on the phone, you consult with them, you work with them yourself? 
That's exactly right. Yes, I'll personally talk to each one. Um, you know, go. The first thing I think that's great is you know I really will educate them on how the draw works and just be super honest with them about how it works um, so that they can make a real wise application. You know, I'll even go through the application over the phone with them if they like that, if they want that. Um, so I'll walk them through the draw process um, and just again make sure that they're applying for hunts that will meet their goals and expectations when they actually do draw a tag. Good, good stuff, good personal attention. Um, I want to shift gears here for just a second in conclusion. Uh, I, I understand you're starting a TV show. Um, tell <laughs> us what's going on. Yeah, Jay, I appreciate you bringing that up because I don't know that I would have even thought to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the show is going to be called Elk Camp with Steve Chappell. Um, I have to be honest, I did not come up with that name. My producer did. Um, I really do like the name Elk Camp, and I think it's real fitting for the show. Um, it's kind of been something that's been in the works for several years, but just all the pieces of the puzzle didn't didn't come into place. Um, but they finally did last year, so we've we've actually been filming for the past two years for the show. Um, so we've got a lot of episodes in the can. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, we've already got episodes TV ready. Um, the show is going to be airing this July of 2018 on the Sportsman Channel, uh, which if people have DirecTV, I believe that's channel 605, and if you have Dish Network, it's channel 395. Um, I think people are going to really like this show because, first of all, it's going to be, uh, you know, Jay, 90 95% elk hunting. Um, and I think there's a real void out there for a good, just consistent elk hunting show. Um, well, Steve, let's face it, your DVD series are the best elk DVD series ever created. If, if people haven't seen them, they need to go on Steve's website and check those out. Hands down, best series, you know, the Extreme Bull series, you know, speaks for itself. So, I mean, if it has that touch of quality and that flair, uh, I myself am going to be, uh, can't wait for it. <laughs> I'll say this about it, Jake. Basically what it is, it would be if you took extreme bulls and added some high production elements to it. In other words, in other words <laughs> extreme bulls on steroids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's a little more, this show's going to be a little more well-rounded. You know, we're going to get to know the hunters a little better. Um, there's just going to be a little bit more of a, of a storyline. You know, there's going to be aerial shots, um, you know, time lapses. Um, it's just got a real high production quality, so it's it's just going to be a more well-rounded um, show rather than just jump from encounter to encounter. Sure, it's going to still have the fast-paced hunting action. It's still hunting-driven. Um, you know, it's not going to show us in the restaurant eating or, or brushing our tell teeth. Tell me we're still going to have some rock and roll music. <laughs> just tell me we're going to have some rock and roll music. Oh, oh yeah, it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, We're rockers. That we've, had, that we've had done, yeah, um, look real good that way. Um, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's, um, it doesn't have a, like a reflective feel or a real cinematic feel to it. It's more of a, you know, this is elk hunting. It's fun. They're bugling. Let's go out and call them in and, you know, yeah. have a great time. Like a real reality, reality type feel to it? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay, cool. just very entertaining. Cool. Again, I think it's something Steve, element really missing on outdoor TV right now. Fantastic. I can't wait for that. Um, 
I, 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 want, I know you're uh, running in a tight time crunch here. I want to ask you one more question. Is the zero hunt feeds program, is that limited to just elk or does it also cover any other animals? Yes, right now, Jay, that's a great question. I am limit, limiting it to elk um, just because I feel like we're really set up to cover that well right now, the elk in Arizona. So we're really looking for those people who feel that elk is a very special animal to them. You know, that's either on their bucket list or they're, they're, they're the kind of person that just nothing, nothing else compares to a bull elk, which is how I am and, you know, my guides are. Um, so that's the kind of person we're looking for to sign up into this program, and it is elk-specific right now. Awesome, awesome. Uh, buddy, any last thoughts, uh, anything else that, that I might have missed or any you want to point out or any final thoughts here? Um, yeah, Jay, I think you've covered, covered a lot in this and brought out you know, a, lot of, a lot of things like you always do. Um, I would just say here at the end that you know, I'm always the eternal optimist, as I, I know you are. We're glass half full type of people. So I'm going to expect things to turn around as far as the moisture goes, and uh, I, I'm, I'm anticipating a good elk year this year. I'm not going to expect us to have a 2002 type of year. So I'm going to tell all the listeners out there, uh, you know, think positive, pray for moisture, and apply as if it's going to be a great elk year. Draw your tag and expect great things in the fall of 2018. That's awesome. And, and Steve, don't you think with the point guard, uh, you know, that, that being in place, it does give you a little bit of a uh, backstop, if you will, that if, you know, something, you know, just kept down a disastrous road or something like that, you could, if you pay the five bucks, you apply with the point guard, you know, you could make the best of it if you had to give a tag back or something like that. Absolutely, Jay. Great point, man. <laughs> yeah. And the fact now that you have to have a portal account in order to get your draw results. There's no reason not to go on and set up a free and easy portal account on the Arizona Game and Fish website. Very easy to do, self-explanatory. That way when you apply for just $5, like you said, you can add that at the end of your application and you are totally covered to protect, you know, to protect yourself um, you know, should the unthinkable happen and we just have a terrible year, you can always uh, turn that tag back in, you know, toward the very end. Yeah, and you get your points back, and you actually get a bonus point for the year, so it's, it's, it's a pretty sweet deal. That's Steve, great. I want to I give you a chance to let the listeners know how they best can find you, how they can get a hold of you, et cetera, where they can hear more about what they've heard today. Okay, thank you, Jay. Yeah, my website, first of all, is chapelguideservice.com, and chapels with two P's and two L's, so chapelguideservice.com. Um, my phone number is 800-383-6223, and that's going to be at the bottom of every single page on the website, as well as my email address is at the bottom of every page of my website. So anyone wanting to talk to me about elk hunts, applying, zero hunt fees, any of that can get a hold of me you know, by calling or emailing me. And then uh, also have a Facebook and an Instagram that I just started <laughs> about a month ago. That's how old school. That a boy. <laughs> so Instagram is Elk Camp TV, or they could probably type in Steve Chapel and find me. And then um, our Facebook page I just recently updated to Chapel Guide Service and Elk Camp TV, so they can find us on awesome. Instagram, Facebook that way. Awesome. Well, buddy. It's 
great to hear your voice. Great to talk to you. I know the listeners get so much value out of, uh, out of hearing you talk about elk. I know how passionate you are. Uh, you are the best elk caller I know, um, hands down. Steve Chappell, he, he'll, he'll kick me under the table here if we were sitting across, but he's one of the most humble people you know, but he can flat call elk, uh, calls elk better than anyone I've ever been around. And I've been around Steve a lot. I've seen him in a lot of different situations. Um, and you, you've worked so hard over the years to just, you're so, the thing is that there's guys that are good at certain calls and what have you. You're good with all the calls. You can make all the sounds. And, um, you know, my hat's off to you for as hard as you've worked at that. And um, I know your guide service does phenomenal. And I just uh, love watching uh, all the success that you guys have and encourage the listeners. Get old of Steve. Uh, if you want to hear more about any of the stuff we talked about today. And uh, Steve, uh, Happy New Year to you, man. And uh, we're headed down to Mexico to do some coos deer hunting, so I'll probably right catch on. you on the other other side. But uh, we got a deadline here, February 13th. And, and uh, I, I just want to finish with one last thing. You like talking to hunters, and you take it personal and talk to each particular hunter. So... Anybody out there that's thinking they, they want to start applying, they don't need to feel bashful about, hey, I want to sign up for zero hunt fees and, you know, I don't want to bother Steve. You want to talk to elk hunters, correct? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I do. This is what I do. Um, this winter time. I mean, my gosh, talk about cabin fever. Um, so talking to guys about elk hunting, applying for elk is what I'm all about. And, uh, yeah, I just love visiting with guys about it and how the draw works. So um, somebody shouldn't feel intimidated at all to talk to me because I'm just a regular guy who loves to hunt elk just like they do. So, yeah, thank you, Jay. Welcome, welcome them to call me. So you're as good as they come and as humble as they come. And uh, just in, in, in always enjoyed my time around you and we're, we're great friends. And I uh, appreciate that friendship. And, Look forward to seeing you down the road here and uh, give my best to Barb and the girls. And uh, I'll, I'll see you, I guess, when I see you. And, and uh, thanks, uh, thanks for sharing here with us. Yeah, thank you, Jay. And, hey, thanks again for giving me that first pallet plate elk call you gave me back in 1995. <laughs> you are I, had a, I had a little bit in the, in the madness, didn't I? Oh, yeah, dude, you're the elk calling master. I have to pass that back to you. But, oh, you're um, so yeah, full of bull. Thanks for having uh, me on. Say hello to All me. right, buddy. The God bless you. Okay. Trouble. Yep, God bless yeah, we'll, you. <laughs> I think some coos are in trouble for sure. So, all right, buddy. Take care. Take care, Jay. Bye-bye.